And everything's based on culture. And culture is guided with three rules. Do the right thing, do the best you can, and show others that you care. But it's guided through values. And so culture, even though you can put some rules around it, it's not really explainable in words, it's felt in energy. So customer service is not what you gotta focus on. Fulfillment is about the experience of the customer. And that's something that they feel, that's something that they perceive. So half of increasing what you charge, leads are not a problem for real estate people. Sales is the problem. So many people aren't even doing client appreciation events, but they want to buy Zillow leads or do get on Flex or whatever. World-class lessons from the real estate industry's top 1%. Empowering agents to think bigger and do more to create life by design. Get access to exclusive interviews with top producing real estate professionals. Listen in as we talk about their journey in the business, best practices, and lessons learned. Hosted by Kirona Zralla and John Scipioni. You mean one thing that we always say in our office is just action is better than perfection, right? This is Light It Up with Lighthouse Residential. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Light It Up Podcast. We are super excited to have with us today. Uh, Colton Lindsay, he is the owner of a company called WGR. Uh, they've got a lot of different focuses that we're super excited to speak about today. Uh, he's also a team leader of uh, a real estate team. He owns a mentorship company and he owns multiple seven figure businesses. So Colton, thanks so much for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. I'm excited to see what this jam is all about today and just have a great conversation. Let's do it. Yeah, I wish we had connected earlier. I, I understand you were just in Jersey. We could have had you come in the studio and do this live, but uh, we'll certainly have you out here some other time. That's uh, yeah. I, have, I mean, I'm probably gonna. I'll probably be in that area about three times a year. So nice. we can definitely do it in person next time I'm there. That'd be awesome. The uh, just to give a little background. So uh, Colton, you had these videos on YouTube uh, maybe like 11 years ago, right? Right around the time where I got my license, and. Um, I remember right before I even got into coaching, I would watch a bunch of YouTube videos and there was really none. There was like maybe you and someone else who's actually doing those videos. And I'm just like, all right, how the hell do I learn this? I feel like it was like but, you and Kevin uh, Ward, right? No, there was another person before Kevin. Kevin. Derek, Derek, Derek was the first. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. In fact, that's what got me starting him. And then after that, uh, Kevin Ward was doing a bunch and then Brian Casella started shortly after that. And then now there's, I haven't seen, I don't even look on there now, but I'm sure there's a lot by now at this point. Yeah. There's idiotic ones out there right now. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's like the person's like, <laughs> shut up. And they're like posting it. Um, well, anybody but, can put what, whatever they want up there now. It's, yeah. Uh, for real. But the, the, it was incredible because the, um, you, you were following, you were very scripted, but you couldn't hear that you sounded scripted. Mm -hmm. Um, and, yeah. uh, you could almost tell like you could see the hustle, but on the phone, you sounded completely professional kept it cool and controlled. Um, so I'm excited to get into that. And uh, first and foremost, thank you for, for doing those videos because that helped. Uh, and I'm pretty sure a lot of agents, when they do watch YouTube videos to learn, yeah. it, they're probably still watching that same one from you and Derek. So Totally. What's funny is my first one I put up, I didn't know what I was doing. I put it up sideways. So it was all like, it was like people are watching Goofy, right? And the reason I started that was I thought it would help me get other clients that would want to work with me because they'd see my hustle. Turns out they didn't care about that, but it created this thing with real estate agents that have now made, like now my business is, I am agent attraction and everything I do, we monetize that. 
But that's what started it was those YouTube videos, honestly. And now it's made me very rich. Yeah. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> that's a good issue to have. Um, you know what's funny? You know what that reminds me of is Jose uh, Luis Morales. Yeah. We have a buddy, Jose um, uh, Morales. He's out on the West Coast, uh, EXP agent. Um, got a huge YouTube channel now, but the first YouTube video he ever did was by accident. And it was like he was at his like his sister's. He's Mexican, right? Yeah. It was at his sister's like quinceanera, and he was like teaching like some girls like trying to flirt with them how to do the what is it called the bamba? No, the no bachata. No bamba. Bamba? Yeah. No. Yeah, I promise you. It was some Mexican dance, and he's literally in cowboy boots, like <laughs> dancing around the it's room. Like three hundred thousand views, and it somehow got three hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> three hundred thousand views, and then he's like, oh shit, this YouTube thing's pretty big. Yeah. And then he just and he really like blew up on YouTube after that. So the basic step is the one two step. If you just want to take a look at my feet, it's one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. That's sweet. But yeah, it's it's much better when he tells that story. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump right into it. All right, I got it. Am I leading? Yep. All right, Colton. So we're doing the icebreaker. These are unrelated to real estate and uh, really just to have a little bit of fun to start this whole thing out. All right, so would you take a 50% pay cut to have a job you were guaranteed to passionately love? Ah, jeez, no. <laughs> uh, I think that passion comes in waves, truthfully. Like, there's stuff, like, I look at when I used to do FISBOs and expires, I was passionately stoked on that. And then I wasn't one day. It's like, dude, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Right. And we go through these phases of life. So I, I think that. I would never trade a passion for money because it's gonna it's gonna exist it's gonna it's gonna expire anyways. There's no long term passion, in my view. That's a good answer. John's like I agree. I hate making those calls. <laughs> well, no, I think your passion changes so so often, right? Like every few years. So that's a you good know what? I'm one I'm one thing I am passionate about though. I'm passionate about not being fucking broke. That is one thing I'm very passionate about. And so if it if it's cutting, like I was the other day, I was thinking my daughter she got contacts lenses. And I had bought like three months worth and I had to get len new lenses for my other daughter and her glasses. The bill was like 650 bucks, right? Something like that. And my daughter's like, dang, dad, that's a lot of money. And I said, yeah, now you know why you got to be a business owner, not an employee in life, right? Because mm. life is fucking expensive. So I'm passionate about not being broke. No joke. This was my second question. It's one, uh, what's the poorest you've ever been? <laughs> um... So, uh, financially or psychologically and emotionally um so let's do both <laughs> <laughs> no there was uh there was i mean obviously in my early 20s when i first moved out and just trying to figure life out you know um i had two jobs that were employee jobs hourly wages i got fired from both of them um i had a third job i lasted a year there and then i left that job and the only reason i didn't I purposely tried to like do really great there because my dad got me the job, so I didn't want him to look like blood on his face, right? But the other two jobs, one I was fired after a week, the other one I was fired after two months. And so I realized I, I I'm not built to be an employee. I gotta go create and build. And I mean, honestly, it was I know I don't remember not having more than thirty grand in the bank though. Truthfully, I've always figured out how to get money in the bank. And then from there I grew. There's not this story like I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debts and made any of this mistake. But I grew up uh, working class. My parents are 
awesome people. My mom worked at her company as a secretary for 43 years. My dad worked at the gas company, uh, uh, like a utility company for 40 plus years. And so it's not like we were ever poor, but we weren't rich, right? Like, so I grew up comfortable, but I knew that, um, I knew that I wasn't built to fit in the mold. I wasn't built to fit in the system and the status quo because I kept running into huge, like, hurdles there like getting fired and not finding my place there and then i was like fuck it let's go do my own thing and it was obviously in real estate real estate where i started nice i'm gonna come back to that after these questions well emotionally though i'll tell you this emotionally though was probably the peak of my real estate sales career I was making at the time five six hundred grand a year and so financially i was fine but i was so unhappy smoking weed all day long shots of vodka whiskey throughout the day usually vodka because it was like easier to hide right so like i was definitely that was probably late 20s into my early 30 29 to 31 was about when i was the most broke emotionally how did you overcome that a friend of mine died and really forced me to ask a question what do i want to do before i die and the first answer was i want to be healthy i remember having a conversation with him that's about a year before he had passed. I was with him and he, he owned a new construction sales team. They number at the time for years and still probably day close to it. Number one new construction company in the state of Utah. And I was talking, I was like, man, I feel like there's more to life than just selling houses. And I remember him saying, it's not me. He's like, I'm going to burn every dollar till I die. And I'm going to party every day. And then a few months later, he was diagnosed with uh stomach cancer. And then six months after that, he'd passed away. And, um, I just remembered that shift from that conversation into that phase. And I was like, wait a second. Like I could literally die any day between now and then. What do I really want to do? And my first answer was I just wanted to be healthy. I wasn't healthy. I was eat shit food. I was used to drugs and alcohol. I wasn't emotionally healthy. My relationship wasn't healthy. None of that. So that was the first step, getting myself healthy. And I'd love to say it happened overnight, but it didn't. And, um, but once I got through that and my life's exploded ever since then in a huge way, both and financially, emotionally, spiritually, all of it, physically, all of it. I love that. And not to kill these the lightning round questions, but well, there's yeah, this one's not too far off. Uh, <laughs> all right, but I think we could circle back into that okay. really, really pretty easily here. So, when did you get into the most trouble as a teenager? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm glad we're keeping it as a teenager. Yeah. Um, so. At the first time I was arrested was probably the ninth grade. And honestly, it was not that big a deal. I watched uh, WWF and WWE as a kid growing up. Like that was the theme with my dad on Monday nights. So it was really into Dude, you're that. Lighting, you're lighting up as you say this. Yeah. I, know, I know it's going to be good. Honestly, it's so stupid. But um, so I I was really into Triple X into Generation X, right? And they had this suck it sign, like where they go, follow oh, suck it. <laughs> right? And we were driving home on the school bus one day, and I was like in the second of the back row, and then someone is behind me, and they had flipped the car off behind us. And then he like flipped his visor down, and it was like FBI. Like he was an off-duty FBI person and yes so he was pissed and we that they flicked him off and flipped it down and so the kids scattered i got up and i'm just like <laughs> in the back in the back window right and then i was at the, at the next stop 
uh, we pulled over and the dude stopped behind us. And then right behind him was the sheriff. Dude, they got up and there was like six of us that they ripped off. And he arrested me for, I don't know what it was, something stupid. Like that was the, just dumb, right? Anyways, that was the first, that was, that was probably the, the worst that I got caught. There was things I did worse than that that I didn't get caught. That was just my first arresting experience. Oh man. Arrested for, for hitting his own torso. <laughs> like for self-inflicting pain. So, so it was funny. So my mom was pissed. She was so mad. And I remember I'd got home from school that day and she was already mad at my sister because she got like some shitty grades and stuff. And I was like, crap. So I called my dad. He was at work. He takes off work early because he's like mad that I got arrested for this. He thinks it's dumb, right? So he comes, picks me up. We go to every kid that was involved and he's like getting written statements. Then he goes to the police station and he's like, look, you can't arrest him for this. And he says, what's the difference between doing this and doing the peace sign? And the police chief agreed. He's like, you're right. We, there's nothing we can. So they didn't charge me with anything throughout the process. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Tony, you got arrested for what? Telling hey. somebody to buy alcohol? All I know is that my dad didn't come in and save me. That's all. Nah, he would have been like, you're screwed. No. Um, all right, cool. So Colton, if you got a call from a 20-year-old uh, Colton asking you for advice, what's one piece of advice you'd give him? Ooh, I would give my 20-year-old self piece of advice that everything turns out okay man like just you're okay that's the advice i would give my 20 year old self yeah now you got into real estate at around what age i got licensed when i was 21 21 and how were you exposed to the industry so my mom there was a secretary she was a secretary at a real estate brokerage so when i was a kid i'd go in and there in fact there was a guy that used to draw drive a red hummer this is the reason i got into real estate he had a red hummer and that signaled money to me in the in the nineties, right? I would never buy one of those Hummers now, but at the time I thought that I could get money. So that I thought, well, I gotta become a real estate agent. That's obviously what you need to make money. Um, so between getting fired from jobs as a teenager and uh like I was fired at seventeen and eighteen, and uh then I didn't get fired on that other job. I worked there for a year and then I quit, and then I never again went back to a real job after that. So yeah, that's how I got into it is my mom was a, a, a secretary in a real estate company and it was like, okay, there's a real estate world. Yeah. And then yeah. when did you, did you, were you self-taught or did you actually have a coach when you were in real estate? No, I hired a coach about a year or so into it. I sold miserably. I only sold two houses. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand business was about marketing, sales, and fulfillment. But I had no clue what to do. And I went to a, a free special event and this guy was selling like at the time uh, an eight six or eight week course and this was way before zoom and stuff so i had to drive like an hour and a half to the course each week and, and go and it was all day long and i didn't have the money to do it so i borrowed a thousand bucks to even do it it was only a thousand bucks and i just literally would write down every word he said that's where that script came from he used to hear me on and i just wrote exactly and did exactly what he told me to do and then i went on and sold 20 something homes and i realized i didn't have a system so i followed that system that's what got me there and then I realized the number one thing that made me money was my ability to set appointments. So if I got great at setting appointments, I was going to make a lot of money. So I just obsessed over setting. And I get to the point where I would double book myself too. Like yes. I would meet, try to meet at 2.30 and 5 o'clock every day on a seller appointment, listing appointment. So I'd set two appointments at 2.30. I'd set two appointments at 5 o'clock. And I'd go either on the better one if there was two of them. But a lot of times one of them would cancel on me anyways. So I always had an appointment to go on. Yeah. 
who was your coach? Who was that coach that the original mentor or coach that was for me was Bob Leffler. Yeah. What, was that within the MFO system or no, no, no. He, he worked with, um, what's his name now? Floyd Wickman for years. And then he launched his own company, fearless agent. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. I think, yeah, yep. I definitely heard of fearless agent. Yeah. But what you, what you said is also so important for like other agents to know is, um, my coach was giving me this example the other day. He was saying, when you go to a dentist's office, there's going to be six or seven people there all booked for the same exact time you are. Yeah. He said mm -hmm. that when they go there to get a filling done the first time, the cancellation rate's 50%. When they go there to get their teeth whitened, the cancellation rate's 70%. When it's a second booking of appointment for a filling, the cancellation rate is like 10% because the pain is so much that they're ready to rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So he's like, just double book the crap out of everything because the likelihood of somebody canceling is high and you'll always have like spots in there right um which is a smart strategy to do obviously when you're, when you're yeah. booking the appointments in there well especially with a first sell back in the day when fizzbos were a thing they're actually probably become a popular right now with the way the market is but back in 07 to 2015 fizzbos were pre-2018 fizzbos were amazing right and but their cancellation rate is high you if you set 10 you're going to get on four of them Either because you're they're not qualified, they're crazy, you're not gonna waste your time anyways, or B, they just realize, oh wait, I don't actually want to meet with this, so I'm just gonna cancel on them. Or life happens too, right? Yeah. So I just knew that I if I said ten, I'd go on four of them. I knew my numbers. Yeah, and that's the the power of knowing your numbers on top of that too. So how long did it take for you to actually start getting momentum and understanding the scripts and knowing the dialogue after getting into coaching? It was immediate for me. Like I started literally on the phones reading the script word for word. In fact, I used to do YouTube videos with like, look, I'm going to read the script and do it. And it works every time. What I think helped me out quickly is I obsessed uh, an hour every morning memorizing scripts. I'd handwrite them. I'd visualize them. I would listen to Bob do them because I'd record a call with him and I'd listen to him. And I would try to mimic his tonality. So tonality was huge with it. Then I would role play twice a day for 30 minutes each time. So I'd role play right at 7.30. I'd spend an hour before that. I'd get on role play at 7.30, make phone calls from 8 to noon. I'd role play again at noon from noon to 12.30. And then I'd go on appointments in the afternoon. So like, I just obsessed over that. And right away, I started taking making deals happen. Why is it the hardest thing to teach new agents today to do that? You know, it's, it's, it's not an agent problem. It's a society problem. I mean, if you look at the generation that we're in, Everything's so instant. Like I could Uber Eats a burrito here in 25 minutes, right? Yeah. So I can Amazon Prime shit in two days. So a lot of the younger generation is used to instant gratification and they're not used to that that work that has to go into it that, that gets it done, right? So like I, I work obviously a lot in the influencer space with selling our products and I'll hire people all the time. And it, I say setting the appointment is like getting on base, like that movie Moneyball. You ever watched the movie Moneyball with the Oakland A's? The, how they won is their GM hired people that were great at getting on base, high on base percentage. And so that's what setting an appointment is, is is that's hitting the ball and actually giving the presentation is, is like making it happen. That's being on base, right? But everyone wants to start on third base today and they want to have the batter up, hit a deep fly to left. So they basically just have to tag and go in. Right. Yeah. They want it pretty simple in order to punch it across the goal line. And yet it's, it's a cultural issue. It's not a real estate agent issue. It's a cultural issue because back from the, the late nineties into the two thousands and even probably up to 2015, 2018, it weaved out after that. 
when social came online, there were so many agents that would, were willing to go on phones and call and door knock and make it happen. Not so much today. The society cultural issue, not an agent issue. We were talking about that before this podcast on the, on the car right here. Yeah. It, it's like, uh, you give a script to somebody and they're like, okay, great. I'll just do it my own way. And like, they'll just completely ignore what's in there. Well, yeah. That, it's crazy. Their own way is not what works. Yeah. Like what your own way is what's getting you your current results. You have to change the way you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And the excuse is, oh, it's not me. It's not who I am. Well, no shit. It's not who you are. Otherwise you'd be fucking making money. You're not making money. So change like your behaviors. Yeah. How yeah. do you teach your agents to like, or when, you, when you're mentoring somebody, how do you get them to actually like get into, out of that cultural norm of the instant gratification? So here's the mistake I used to make in hiring or allowing people to mentor with me and even in hiring people in my company. There's a really popular movie in the late 90s called Rudy. Did you guys ever see that movie, movie Rudy, where yeah. he, uh, he was a towel boy for, so you've seen it, right? Notre Dame. He was a towel boy for Notre Dame. And the senior year, the last game, they put him in for two plays. Like they dressed him for that game and he played for two plays. And those two plays, the crowd went freaking wild. Remember that? Yep. And so there was this view of the underdog story, which I love a great underdog story. Here's the reality though. The underdog doesn't fucking win most of the time. Who wins is the the A-team player. Kobe Bryant fucking wins, right? So- I stopped hiring people that had potential and I started working with and hiring people that were going to be successful with or without me. And I built a team of people that were going to do the work. So I, I, I figured out that filtration system. I started saying no to the possibilities and I started saying yes to the probabilities. Good example is when I first started building a team, I was hiring appointment centers to set appointments because I knew I needed more appointments, right? I hired this kid that had just got out of rehab three months prior for heroin. And my I literally had played out an underdog show. I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to help this kid. He got clean off of heroin. We're going to help go win and be successful. Fucking two months later, two months later, the dude's on heroin again, right? So mm. I stopped betting on the potential and I started betting on the highly probable. And that's what's completely shifted with getting people to get results. I stopped trying to help people get results that weren't going to do the work and started helping people get results that are doing the work. See the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Is it possible to, because I think a lot of people who do watch this, this podcast uh, are, you know, trying to hire in some capacity. Maybe it's just a buyer's agent. Maybe it's, they're looking to bring on 10 buyer's agents. Maybe they're looking at mm -hmm. overall agent attraction. How do you find somebody who's, uh, I, I liked how you wrote it. They're going to be successful without you, with or without you. How do you find somebody like, are you looking for an agent that's got, you know, doing five deals a year and you're trying to get them to 30 deals? Or are you trying to find people who are just good at sales and you'll teach them real estate? Like what's your process? Honestly, it's, it's all of the above. I personally, with our current business model now, if they're not already making 50 grand a month, I'm sorry, a year, 50 grand a year, we don't even have an option for them. Really. We're just not a great fit for them at all. Um, and everything's based on culture and culture is guided with three rules. Do the right thing, do the best you can and show others that you care, but it's guided through values. And so culture, even though you can put some rules around it, it's not really explainable in words. It's felt in energy. It's like a thumb you can just intuitively get, right? And you label it 
A team and C team. A team people, they're coachable. They ask for feedback. They're action takers. They show up. They say, what else can I do? They're driven to make money. They want to serve and contribute to others. Yeah. You know what I mean? They say yes. C team people, they're consistent, inappropriate drama, consistent, inappropriate entitlement, consistently inappropriate blaming, uh, and, uh, lazy. And they're, the most is they're dishonest and lack authenticity, right? And you can tell because their energy doesn't match their words, right? Someone can tell me how they're a hustler and their bank account shows opposite. No, brother, your fucking bank account is what is really reflection of what you're going to do. You're going to find ways to get results. And so I started looking at everything through that lens. And as a CEO of a company, my job is to evangelize the vision of the company and the culture and the standards that we'll either tolerate or not tolerate. But knowing how linguistics work, as you're training people, you could share with them seven times the vision and they'll only hear it once out of every seven. So I know that I've got to evangelize this ATFT all the fucking time because I have to be the one planting the seed over and over again. I'm the one that has to create the repetition of mother all skill for them to catch the vision. And as they catch it, if they're 18, they'll act on it. They'll just implement. A great book, if you guys haven't read it, is Think and Grow Rich. I don't know if you've heard of it, Napoleon Hill, one of my all-time favorites. There's a secret in there that he teaches and everyone misses it. And there's two parts to it. But the secret, just to kind of spoil it for everyone, is, is in the title is part one is think. The second part is called trust your hunch. There's a story where he goes to Canton, Ohio, and he borrowed 50 bucks from his brother-in-law. His brother like, hey, I can actually give you 100. He's like, no, my hunch said take 50. He gets to Canton and he uh, says, his mind's telling him it's crazy, but his hunch is saying stay in the nicest hotel, which almost cost all of his 50 bucks, right? But he kept following his hunch. And that's the key. We're so fast-paced with our thoughts today. No one slows down. I shouldn't say no, that's an absolute, but a lot of people don't slow down to give themselves first space to think. But second, they just don't fucking trust themselves to act from that hunch because the fear of the unknown, the fear of the uncertainty. And so I really look to train that in my organization, the people that I mentor. It's like, look, it's not about me teaching you how to make more money. You're going to fucking make money. I'm just going to teach you how to do it quicker. And here's how. I'm going to teach you to create space to think and trust yourself and act. And it boils back to psychological, emotional state. If you feel bad, like the worse you feel inside, then the worst decisions that you make and the worst actions you take. So our emotions dictate the actions we do or don't take. Fear dictates that. And then that gives us less good consequences, which in turn gives us less good opportunity. But if we flip that, if we, the better we feel, the better our decisions are, the better our actions are, the better our results are, the consequences, the opportunity. So you have to ask yourself, well, what controls us emotionally? And it's the thoughts and the story in our mind, and it's how we physiology, our physiology is showing up, dictates that. So you have to give your attention to the beliefs that trigger the story in your physiology. You shift that, you shift your emotion, you shift your decisions, you shift your result. And so I look for people that catch on to that, and then they apply it. And when they do, they just get results. Yeah. Hopefully that was an answer to your question. I went... What are rampage there? That that's no, that's great. I would so is it fair to say just to to close the loop on that that you're only hiring A team players? Hundred percent. Yeah. And so Keller Williams taught hire slow, fire fast. That's a, like a phrase in our industry. I actually fucking hate it. Now I'll take a little bit more time if I'm hiring a high salary employee, like seventy five grand a year or something like that. So I just really make sure that I know that I'm discovering their 18. Well, that comes to salespeople. 
proof is in the pudding. So I'm fast to hire and fast to fire. I know that if I hire five, four of them aren't going to cut it. But instead of being slow to hire them and then taking three to six months to find out that they just ain't going to cut it, I want to hire them quick and I want to get rid of them in two to six weeks. Because if I got to get rich, if I got to get more people to get on base, I'm going to get there faster to my goal if I'm hiring faster and I'm buying faster as well. People will weed themselves out with accountability. 18 people, they want accountability. They want a scorecard. They want to track their score. Yeah. 18 people, they want to hide that shit because then it exposes them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of times, especially when it's salespeople, you know, they interview the best, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the salespeople are literally going to interview better than anybody else because they're salespeople. It's really hard to see what they can produce uh, without having them. You Their know, level of commitment after that. In, in, you know, in the bullpen for two weeks, right? Right. And par partially, too, when we're hiring salespeople, I'll reject them a few times. And I see if they follow up with me because they just want to follow up with me. Why are they going to follow up with the leads? Yep. If people want something bad enough, like I can tell you, I followed up with the amount of times I followed up with leads that I'd finally made not only a ton of money off of that first deal, but then they became referral people in my life in multiple deals. But had I only called them about once or twice, I wouldn't have them in my life. It's interesting because when you were going through that whole, like, you know, they need to be there, like physiology, like they need to be there mentally willing to be able to do the whole the work. You can see how that can be like almost like a culture of everybody who's just trying to empower each other to get better across the board and push each other. hundred percent. So can you a little elaborate a little bit more about that? Because we're understanding that, you know, to create culture, it starts within the foundation. So how did you have to come? I know you're preaching, you're being the invent the word evangelizing. That's the one, um, you know, the, the vision. How did you be able to transition that vision into a culture that started the foundation and took a life of its own? I had to start living it myself, right? So, well, a good friend of mine, back to be a great guy for your podcast, if you know him, is Joshua Smith. He owns GST mode, right? I was in, he actually spoke at one of my events years ago, and he talked about, you can take a water or a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yep. And he's like, well, how do I make them drink then? And I was like, well, shit, you can't make them drink, right? And he's like, fuck that. Make them fucking thirsty and then they'll drink. How do you make them thirsty? You show them how green it is to be drinking yourself. And so you have to go and just consume it yourself. You're the one that has to master your psychological, emotional state, your money management, your cash flow, your sales skills, your P&L statement. You're the one that's got to get up, have a morning routine, and get yourself in that space and that clarity. You're the one that's got to go have 30 meaningful conversations a day, set the appointments, close deals. You know what I mean? You're the one. You go do it yourself. And know this too, like in the olden days when I grew up, it was like the dream was like, hey, we'll get to six figures, right? Like that was like, that was a thing. Some younger kids still have that thought, but now a lot of the people are like, the next step for me is like, can I get to seven figures? That's where most people stop dreaming today is getting, even if they get to that, like they stop dreaming to seven figures. Whereas my philosophy is, is like, you're a seven. How do you go to, how do you go to eight figures? You're an eight. How do you go to nine? Yeah. Right. It was like, I was uh, texting one of my buddies text me today and he does between six and 10 million a year. I'm guessing right now. And he was like, hey, are you going skiing today? Because it's a bluebird day. I live eight minutes from the resort. I, today doesn't work for me. I said, no, nah, but I was just looking at the FOMO on the bluebird day, right? The fear of missing out on this day, right? And he was like, yeah, I'm deciding if I'm going to go up skiing or if I'm going to go fly my jet for a little bit. And I was like, man, what a fucking problem to have, right? 
but you got to surround yourself with people that think about what what's next. And too many people, they plateau because there's an illusion that you're going to get there without challenges. There's an illusion that you're going to get there with what, what I call beating the fucking tunnel. The tunnel is when you get kicked in the teeth. And there's typically eight uh, triggers that trigger a crisis in your business or your life. Count on three or four of them get triggered every year, right? And so when that gets triggered, the illusion is, oh, shit, I'm not doing it right because the plan's messed up. Because there's, the, there's our plan and then there's the plan. We have to learn to surrender to the plan that it's going to be equal or even better than what we could have dreamed of. And so when the pain comes, that's the dichotomy of life. You can't know love without knowing pain. And so when that pain comes in your business or your life or your finances, you can't run from that. You can't be scared of it. You have to actually embrace it and say, oh, this is a gift right now, which is easier said in words than in real time, by the way. Right? Like, here's, uh, like my company since the end of November has been in major, probably four different crises triggered, right? So we got our director of operations. He's going through a divorce. That was like it took him out of the game, which then hurts the business. Our director of experience, her husband just came back on his cancer screening. Like he's got cancer. That's a, that's a thing, right? Two of our, our senior coaches quit and went to other companies. That's a little bit of a problem, right? Just two nights ago, our social media director who does all our video, one of his best friends randomly, like the most random thing was murdered, right? So like there's things that are out of your control that are going to trigger these crises and they're going to feel almost suffocating and overwhelming and i tell everyone the secret to that is to go breathe and relax through it because my natural like i shouldn't even my natural the wired into me and i don't know if you guys are like this is to go fucking hustle harder and what happens is i hustle so hard and i get my blinders on i then steal attention from what's really important to me between now and when i die the only thing i'm guaranteed is this moment and what's in this moment time equals emotion energy and motion and so when I get my blinders on hustle mode, I'm actually hustling out of fear, fear that the money's going to stop or fear that the business is going to fall off, fear something, right? And yet I don't make the best decisions out of fear. I don't know if you guys do, but I don't, right? I'm going to make worse decisions there. So I will do my best to go do breath work, do longer meditations, do more stretching. I'll actually spend more time skiing so I can get my head clear and I can get centered in my heart and make decisions from that space. Um, so I don't know if that even answers your question. I went off on a tangent, but no, that's good. That's what I got for you. That's a great answer. I, I tell us how let's segue now a little bit more into your mentorship company. Obviously yeah. you've been able to help a lot of realtors and, and, uh, real estate professionals grow their business, you know, through scripting and, and coaching. Uh, but talk to us a little bit more about why you started the mentorship, uh, company and, and where you are today. So when I put that first YouTube up. And I thought I was going to get buyers and sellers. I didn't. I naturally, agents started reaching out to me. So I first started monetizing my following online in 2014 when I partnered with Fearless Agent. The algorithms were looser back then. So like I just had leads galore and I didn't have a way to monetize them. So I'd send them over there and then I would get 20% of them, everything in that company. Um, as I got more mature in business, and I realized the three fundamentals of business are marketing, which is an abundance of leads, like a ridiculous amount of leads is what a business thrives off of. A business survives off of scarce amount of leads, right? So I realized, okay, I just got to get great at generating leads for whatever business I'm in. Second piece is though, is the sales. That's where you convert the leads to money. And what I learned about in sales is that 
the way I get paid more is if number one, I close more deals. Number two, I close deals that pay me more, like more deals that bigger margins. And then number three is I find way that people pay me over and over. The challenge that I was facing in real estate is there's only so much you can do to increase your volume transaction. You can start to market to bigger homes. You can increase your commissions, decrease your BAC, things like that. But it was very difficult to really create that residual side of a real estate business if I'm the salesperson. Yeah. So my first step was I had to leverage myself and I realized that I'm not in the real estate sales business. I'm in the agent attraction business. I'm in the talent acquisition business. And I realized my customer were agents and that if I could, I could help them become successful, they were going to serve buyers and sellers and I was going to get a piece of that, right? So that's that was what really hit me. The third piece in business I learned throughout this process is fulfillment. We've all had that customer where we crushed it on customer service. We know we did. Everyone knows we did, but that person still fucking hated us. They thought we were the devil, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've also had that client where we we could have done better. We dropped the ball on the service, but they still freaking loved us. And it's because their experience that they perceived was way better. So customer service is not what you got to focus on. Fulfillment is about the experience of the customer. And that's something that they feel. That's something that they perceive. So half of increasing what you charge is by in just changing the perception of your worth, increasing the perception of what you're worth. That's 50%. I learned that from Josh, Joshua Smith as well. And so as I looked into that and I said, okay, how can I decrease my risk by increasing my returns? And it, for me, it wasn't actually going to be selling real estate because it's very expensive to grow and expand a real estate sales team when you look at that. If you're buying leads, if you're paying admin, if you're buying office space, some of these guys and gals are baby getting 18, 20% profit at best. And when the market shifted, they went negative. I was like, okay, well, how do I go from a profit margin like that in cash accounting to how can I get 50% in accrual accounting, which is ridiculous numbers, by the way, if you can do that. And that's like a 6X to 8X multiple. So I started thinking about that and I realized there's business operators. Here's what business operators are. They get tired and exhausted. They're working 24 hours a day, nine days a week. If they stop, the money stops. That's how most people in the real estate space are. Or there's business owners. They get rich and happy. And if they stop, the business is still paying them money, right? Now, the reason why people want to become business owners is tainted. They think that, oh, then I could have more happiness and I could spend more free time on the beach or whatever. The reality is you get bored of that super quick. The reason why business owner makes sense is when there is that medical emergency, when the plan is not yours, it's God's plan. When one of the crises is triggered and there's a fucking mountain of life dealing with, you know what I mean? And so as you do that, then you're more able to freely move through those moments in a way that set your children up for better experiences, set your, your, the people you love up for better experiences. It's what allows you to be more free in what you really after. Like I love to ski and I love to ski with my dad. If I'm not business freedom and financial freedom, I'm either skiing 40 days a year with him and going broke, or I'm skiing 40 days with him and going really rich. I want to go ski with him and be rich. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not an either or. Um, and so I, what I do is I help people see the difference of being a business operator versus an owner, and then I give them the steps to do that, and it's really about replacing themselves along the way. First in fulfillment, then in marketing, then in sales, and then in the executive level, and then they launch other revenue streams. And you got to be in a business where you can monetize your customer five different ways. That was the problem. And you can do it now in real estate, 
But back in the day, there was a problem. I could only monetize my customers like one way, doing a transaction. Now you can monetize their title work because a lot of states have made that leaving. You can monetize their, their, their mortgage work. You can monetize their home security. You can monetize their solar now. You can monetize, like there's more ways to do it. Ancillary services, yeah. Right. And so I, I like one of my buddies, Daniel Dixon in, in uh, uh, Colorado, he's great at that. But for me, what I wanted to do is I wanted to not only monetize my customers, but I wanted higher profit margins. And the reality is that the profit margins are bigger if I'm serving agents than if I'm serving buyers and sellers. That's the reality of it. Yeah. And I learned that after the fact, but I also knew I just didn't want to fucking sell houses the rest of my life. And I, that's coming from a real estate trainer mentor, being honest. I loved it, but I, I felt like there was more to me. And I think that's what's important about business. You have to be called to it. If you're not called to it, it's not the right business. You get tired of beating up on expireds and for sale by owners after a while, and you're like, uh, I just spent 30 minutes with this dummy, and it's like uh, I could be doing so much more. But I think it's a lot of ego that gets in the way of people realizing that because until they realize that they aren't doing anything special or something, you know, there's a lot of ego with when you get that sales skill, you know, increasing and you're getting better and better. You're like, I'm a rock star, I could kill this. But then the moment you realize that you're not doing anything significant or different than anybody else can do, then you can mm -hmm. finally replace yourself. Um, one thing, you said three things really, that's, I, if you can dig into it, you said first replace yourself fulfillment. Can you elaborate with what yep. you mean by those three steps? So that's everything on the administrative side, right? So- Oh, the three pillars, got it. Right, Any, anything that's on fulfilling on the product that you've sold or the service that you've sold, it's gotta be efficient, it's gotta be outsourced, and it's gotta be effective. Most people where they get stuck is their fulfillment is not extremely effective. It's super inefficient and it's not outsourced. They're like trying to keep it in house and doing it themselves. So it slows them down. Your objective is to to get to where, okay, now where can the where's the best use of my time? Yeah. And so that's where you start is on in the operations, the admin side of it. Got it. Yeah. A lot of people tend to focus on just getting more leads. So they like the three pillars you're talking about. That's the second. Yeah, the marketing is second. Marketing is second, not first. Got it. And then the conversion. So then in, in the way that we talk about it is attract, convert, deliver. So those are the three pillars, essentially the same way that you said it. So um, the lead generation is typically the one that people go for first, which is probably not the right way to go about it because you need a way to support it. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you have the admin support and then you have the lead gen and then the conversion, so recruiting more agents to make the calls would be the third hire or the third step is what you're saying. Correct. Correct. And that's there's a pivot in that area. But if you if you look at when oh sorry my my computer's beeping now it's unnormal so when you look at um that that component of the marketing why you want to do that second is just because you said fizbos are cheap expired are cheap to get those numbers and start calling them you could cold call people you can door knock people but today even you could put post a story and eight hours later swipe up and a thousand people saw your story and you can start literally reaching out to those 1,000 people that just saw your story. So leads are not a problem for real estate people. Sales is the problem. They're not willing to do the four steps required. Reaching out to people, if they don't want people reaching out to them, having a meaningful conversation, setting an appointment, and giving a presentation to monetize. Yeah. And so that's where the energy should be going for a salesperson. And then with time, you can start to do paid marketing I recommend you always pay marketing first to market your fans already, the people you've already worked with. Start there. 
so many people aren't even doing client appreciation events, but they want to buy Zillow leads or do get on Flex or whatever. You don't have a lead problem in real estate. You have a contacting people problem. That's a, that's a great way to say it. I think, you know, it's something that we've said a lot on, uh, with some recent guests, every, every path leads back to the phone, in my opinion, right? Like it's not the problem to actually have the lead. It's people don't want to actually call the people. So then they end up trying to text or trying to DM or trying to do the path of least resistance. And yeah, well, honestly, honestly, DMs and texting work if you do it the right way. So like. One of my strategies is, and I, I didn't answer that first question by the way, so I'm going to come back to it, is I'll literally swipe up on my story, see who saw it, and you start to see some of the people seeing your stories kind of consistently. I'll just respond. I'll just message them and be like, yo. Literally, that's my intro is yo. And they'll be like, because they see me several times, they feel like they know me. When they respond, I always respond with a voice note. And I'm like, yo, John, what are you working on? I just... Notice you all my stories and never really connect with you. Just want to see what's going on in your world, see, see what, what you're excited about. And then I get into their world, and if I like their energy and I kind of like where the conversation's going, I say, "Hey, like I don't know if you're over in this. I'd love to just hop on a 15 minute Zoom and jam with you and just see what you're working on and see if there's any way I can support you in what you're trying to achieve." As I move into that triage call, and from there I start to build a relationship with them, and I'm just asking questions about them. And at the very end, I'm saying, "Hey, look, I don't know if this is for you, but here's how I help people." So in real estate, it's like, hey, I don't know if this is for you, but if, if you hear of anyone thinking of making a move in the next year or so, would you feel comfortable sending my way so I can, by the way, I'll take care of them. I'll keep you up to date, but would you open to that? And I get them to commit to me right there. And then I put them into a follow-up system. And so I just stay in touch with them over and over again. So you can do it that way if you're doing it the right way. But the wrong way everyone does it is they send these just like almost like spammy messages yeah. that no one wants to see. That's the wrong way to do it. It's exactly how I pick up chicks, by the way. Same strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your first question, though, is like when you get to that sales piece, but then how do you transition out of that? So the first part is, is you've got to give your salespeople attention on the skill that matters, and that's setting appointments. And then from the skill that matters, you've got to give them attention on the ability to close those appointments. And then from there, you've got to hire a sales director that their whole job is to do that, to train and to make sure that the production is happening. You got to hire someone that's better at it than you. Because typically, if you're great at going and getting contracts signed and setting appointments, you're not that great at teaching how to do it. That's what I found in my experience. I'm amazing at it. I'm not the best at teaching people. So I actually hire someone to do that that's better at it than me, that's more skilled at it than me. Yeah, that's a good point. It's there's a lot of um, just from experience. It's it, especially the fear of teaching people how to close and teaching them how to ask mm -hmm. for a time and date. It, there seems to be a lot of anxiety when people go through that. Um, is there yeah. any tips that you would give for someone who's nervous to ask for a time and date or or going through that issue where they can overcome that? You mean for like an agent setting an appointment? Yeah. Well, number one, just get used to being rejected. You're gonna go through it. In fact, just get rejected more get rejected faster. You're, you're going to live a whole life of rejection. You, you want a relationship? Your partner's going to reject, reject the fuck out of you when you're together. You want to, you want to make money? Five people are going to tell you no before you get one yes, right? You want to, you want to hire someone? People are going to quit on you. People are going to tell you no. People aren't even going to respond. Just get so fucking great at getting rejected that you get rejected faster so that you find those people that are open 
And when then they're open, then master your skills, getting better at converting. Lose fewer opportunities when you find them. There's a book, Rejection Proof. That's like one of my favorite books that talks like, that walks you through that, right? Oh, uh, and uh, he was talking about, he would go into like a, a Krispy Kreme. He'd be like, can and you get donuts the, the way of like the Olympic things? And he would just ask crazy questions to random people. He'd go to people's he houses. He did a lot of social experiments. Yeah. yeah. And he would go to people's houses and he'd be like, can I play soccer in your backyard? Like he would just ask these wild ass things just to get rejected. But he was surprised by how many people would actually say yes. Well, surprised by how many people would say yes. And when people would say no, his next lesson was, well, do you know anybody else that would let me play soccer in their backyard? Yeah. Whatever the example was. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, you're not going to my backyard, but that guy over there, big soccer fan, go over there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and it, and, and it just teaches salespeople, like even, even clients who tell you or prospects who tell you no, you can have a follow-up question and turn it into a yes. So. Yeah, exactly. So that was when cold calling in the early days, I would call people and they'd answer and say, hey, look, it's Colton Lindsay with the world's greatest realtor. I just call and see if you might be thinking of selling your house. And they would be like, no. I'm like, oh, no worries. Do you have any plans of moving ever? And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's six months when my daughter graduates high school. Like, okay, cool. Gee, I don't know. Like, it's okay if I stay in touch with you. And if you have any questions, just let me know. And they're like, yeah, no problem. So then I get there. I'm like, hey, well, let me just, what's your email? I'll shoot you my contact information. You reach out if you need me. Then I get their email. I already got their phone number. I got their mailing address, right? Now I put them into a system and stay in touch with them. And, and so it's amazing. I, I love that. But what's that name of that book? I actually want to recommend it. Check it out. Rejection Proof. Rejection Proof. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like an, uh, an awesome book. Yeah. So what you just said is actually a really good point because the reflex no is so natural, but that holds so many people who are starting in the industry back from being actually able yeah. to ask that one more question or have the balls to. Um, or the but, amount of people that ask the second question and then even the third question. But then uh, are, stop after that. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a quick example, Colton. I think you can connect with this uh, for, for sale by owners because I know that's, that's how you got your start. I had a real estate coach years ago who told me, John, if I were to sell my house, I'd sell it for sale by owner. I said, hold on a second. I'm like two years in the business. I'm like, you've been coaching me two years. Why the hell would you sell your house for sale by owner? Am I, am I missing everything you've been teaching me over the years? And she's like, no, John, think about it. I put a for sale by owner sign in my front yard, right? Day one, I get a call from 20 different agents. Mm -hmm. Week two, only 10 of those agents are still following up. Week three, five of the agents. By week four and five, she's like, John, there's two agents left. And by week six, one guy is left. And that's the guy I'm going to hire. I'm going to take out my for sale by owner sign. I'm going to hire my, I'm going to, I'm going to hire that agent who lasted the longest. Right. And I'm I like, whoa. That. And she goes, that will tell me who the most persistent best agent is in town. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I never thought of it that way. I, I mean, that's probably why I signed so many listings. I would sometimes call FISBO three, three times between 8 a.m. and noon because I wanted them to answer. Right. So I just keep reaching out, keep reaching out. Yeah. So that's back before the spam number came up on cell phones yeah. though. Right. Which would be the issue from now. I remember Steve Powers back in the day, just because now I'm getting excited about Fizbo's. He used to be like, you know the best time to call Fizbo's? I'm like, Sunday. Monday morning after after the weekend? He's like, no, forget it. Call Sunday night. I'm like, Sunday night, man. I don't want to call people Sunday night. He's like, no. They're super excited about their open house Saturday and Sunday. They thought they were going to sell it. 4,000 people were going to show up. They were baking the cookies. He's like, by Sunday night, the cookies didn't work. They didn't the get Saint any Joseph offers. The and they are freaking <laughs> depressed as all hell. And that's when you swoop in because they're feeling like, Everything should have panned out. So Right. Well, the other thing that's going to help in that is when you spend 
a massive amount of time. I'm talking like an hour a day getting great at your communication skills. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden you're going to start to find you say something a certain way and it works. And then you start to say it over and over and you find that next thing. Next thing you know, you put all these pieces together and you get all these yeses. And it's like, holy crap. I remember one of the first times. Go ahead. I was going to say, one of my very first times I was competing against one of the number one agents at the time, a guy named Ryan Ivy. And I got lucky because I got the appointment while he was out of town. They were already planning on listing with this guy, right? But he was out of town. And I remember when they signed with me, I was surprised myself. I was like, high five. And they high fived me, dude. I was like, I still remember that to this day. And selling that, and I got like a, a it was listed for three hundred thousand. I got a full price offer in like two days or something. That's awesome. Anyways, it was just super cool. Well, Colton, awesome. it's been a pleasure, man. What were we saying about Herbozy? I want to hear what you were saying oh, yeah. about Herbozy. He posted something uh, recently. I don't want to butcher it, but it was ten thousand. Ten thousand cold calls will teach you way more than you know uh, any sales course course or something like that. Ten thousand calls that you've made yourself agree. will teach you way more than than any sales course. And it's just, it's, it's in tune with what you were saying. It's just, you got to make those calls where you get your ass kicked and you have to find a right. way to figure it out. But a lot of people quit, you know, after. Right. So, so the reason I got great at phone calls is because I went on a Mormon mission and I knocked doors for two years in Brazil. And I remember I was, I was like, I'm never going to knock a door again. Cause I'd knock so many, but I realized I had to talk with people. So I, I was like, I'm going to do it on the phone. But to this day, my whole mantra is I'm going to hit 30 conversations today. Now, I don't do it on the phone like I used to. I'm, I'm big into voice note drops today. I'm just like grabbing my leads or grabbing my people that I need to reach out to. When I say leads, relationships now for me, I'm always dropping a voice note. And then when I get responses, things pop up that I get ideas to move them to an opportunity into my world. Sick. Mm. And you have to get great. Now I'm at the level where it's like, okay, a brand new age, less than 50 grand a year. You're not going to get a meeting with me. That's just, I don't have time for that. But hey, let me, let me send you one of my senior coaches Yeah. and let them just see what we can do to help you out. Right. I want to spend time with people that are already at seven figures. A couple of reasons. One, to get seven figures, you're doing something right. Two is they got money to pay me. I saw, I want to go where the money is. Yeah. Well, well they, I, I want to do a follow-up call with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's to note there is that you have like a life cycle for, for capturing, like doing it the right way, like you were talking about through DMs and like voice note drops and stuff like that. It's like they first engage through you by like watching you and you're visible, right? And then from there, you're engaging slowly and then you're trying to schedule an appointment yep. from there. Then they enter into your world and there's probably several different products that they can actually get into to dabble, right? And then they can get slowly right. more exposed to you. And at the end of it, then it's like they're in your world. Yeah, Exactly. And Alex teaches, hey, the more value you add, the longer you wait and just add value, the bigger the ask. And so with like a seven-figure person, like I'm not right out of the gate asking for them to give me money. I'm really giving some of them attention and hearing them and then I'm finding where they can make adjustments. And I give them, hey, go do this. And then they go get that result. And then I get a meeting with them and then they have no problem stroking a $50,000 check for me. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's Harmozy and and Grant Cardone, right? Give everything away for yeah. free, and give away the farm. That's what Alex says. Give away the farm. Give so. it away for free, and then the the big people will come through and write the big checks. Yeah, but yep. it's such a small percentage of those people that that uh, that will come through. But you don't need that many people, right? Like if you said if a client's ready to hire you for fifty thousand dollars, I mean, you need uh, twenty clients to make a million bucks right there. And you're looking at the evolution 
of our industry. I don't know what, what company are you guys with? EXP. Okay, so look at EXP and Real Brokerage right now. And I know LPT is coming on. Like, they're. It doesn't matter what company you're at, but the model is different than the traditional, right? And when you look at your guys' podcast, you look at social media today, we're in a new era of real estate and there's an opportunity to be uh, agent attraction monetization, which means there's a whole new space for that in educating on that and, and, and training on that. So I started this journey in 2014 in accident. And so I'm, I'm like ways ahead of a lot of people just by accident. So the new deal that I've been working in is because I believe riches are in the niches. So now I have people that come to me, they're already doing half a million, a million bucks a year in their agent attraction. But now I have to consult for equity opportunities like what Alex teaches. And now I'm getting 10% of the upside just to consult with me. And so that's a whole other space that you have is how do you monetize what you're doing right now so that you create more business for your more residual, yeah. more residual revenue. There's more opportunities in the real estate space today than ever before because the number of homes are, this, I mean, they were down sales year over year from last year. Get it. But you look 2000 compared to 2023, way more fucking homes are selling. There's way more humans that live here. There's way more transactions happening. And now you've got multiple ways to make money on it. So it's a really exciting time we live in right now. That's a good way to put it, though. I never thought of it like that. So many ways. Monetize. Colton, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot you a voice note now. Uh, after this, I'll do it later on today. I'm going to give you um, just a quick follow-up. Uh, I think there's another way that we can work together. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Sweet. Sounds good. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really do appreciate you coming out and uh, spending some time with us today. Yeah, if somebody wants to reach out to you, is the best way through Instagram? Absolute best way if you're 45 years and younger is Instagram. If you're 45 years and older, it's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> anything that you want to share with the audience, what you're working on, what you have coming up next, anything? Um, so, I mean, I've got next week, uh, our world's greatest training intensive. One of the ways that you two is you're in age and traction. You got to get great at stealing the fucking stage. So I train people on that. It's an amazing course I got next week. I got my modern leadership intensive because you got to learn how to do leadership in this world. That's happening May 1st to the 3rd. Um, just reach out and see what I can do. Support check out my content. Just see what things are available. Check them on the website for WGR.com. So yeah. Awesome. Just see what I can do to serve you. Awesome, man.